The challenge is, you know, these children represent only less than 1% of the pediatric population, but they represent 40% of the pediatric healthcare costs. So essentially, you know, medically fragile child will, will cost Medicaid or private insurance, most usually Medicaid, uh, about 40 times more than a non-medically fragile child. The reason that we get those significant cost reductions or hospitalization reductions, how, how, how do we go from 1.3 to 1.6? That almost sounds too good to be true. Um, and the reason for that is the data proves, we've got university studies that prove it, and, and you know, almost a decade of our own data to prove it, is it's the continuity of care that keeps these kids safe at home, that drives down the rehospitalizations, and that significantly drives down the total cost of care for these children. Welcome to the Mother Honestly podcast. This is your host, Blessing Adesio, founder and CEO of Mother Honestly. On this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Hello, thank you so much for joining me on the Mother Honestly podcast. I am your host, Kristen Hall, the COO of Mother Honestly, and we are graciously recording from Motor City Woman Studios in Detroit, Michigan. I am so thrilled to have Fred Johnson, the president and CFO of Teen Select Home Care, which is their mission is focused to shine a spotlight on the high-risk population of medically fragile children and their families. Fred, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's, a, it's an honor and pleasure to be here. We're so excited, and I love what your company's doing. For our listeners, tell us a little bit more about your own background and how this project and this company came to be. Yeah, so um, so actually, um, I took a, took a job straight out of college about 25 years ago with kind of the aerospace defense industry. Worked for um, about 20-some years relocating. Um, all over the globe and um, doing a lot of kind of acquisition work and, and it just wasn't very conducive to family life, uh, very difficult on my wife and children and uh, just really wanted to be part of something smaller and, and find something I could be passionate about and um, you know I've got four main things that I try to, to shoot for in life and especially with work and, and that's to focus on things that, that really enjoy doing um, but have to be good at it. Um, ideally make a little bit of money at it to make it functional, uh, but most importantly, make the world a better place. And uh, I just really couldn't find that in the, in the corporate world. And so my best friend from graduate school had started um, Team Select Home Care based out of Phoenix back in about 2010. And um, after a few years of recruiting in 2006, I decided to forge a second career in healthcare. And, um, and that's what's really kind of kind of led me to this passion for, for medically fragile children and their families. I love hearing about people's experiences and what brought them where they are today. And you, I think coming out of aerospace, that, that's a hard industry, as you mentioned. It's you know very data-driven, cold at times, I think is a nice way to say it. I'm in the manufacturing space, so I can feel you on that one. Um, but I love that you've made this pivot. And I wrote down, you know, we always, I always tell people I'm writing show notes every time. And I like that the four things that you highlight for anyone works really well to enjoy, to be slightly good at, to make some money and to make the world a better place. 
And the last one, I think sometimes we underestimate the value that that can bring. And I think this is an area for Mother Honestly where we haven't necessarily really dove into what's going on in the high-risk population with medically fragile children and their families. Tell me more about that. What kind of illnesses are we looking at? How can, and what part of what you guys do is educate not only family, but the public and lawmakers about what care needs to become available, you know, in lost wages. I think this is going to resonate a lot with people, but it's one that it's an area we haven't really delved into. So I'm excited to learn more about it myself. Oh, well, great. Yeah, I'm uh, filled with, uh, filled with knowledge on this topic. It's, um, it's really, like I mentioned, really kind of become my passion. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough situation. You mentioned kind of like the forgotten um, kind of families. We, we, we kind of talk about these, these families as if they are somewhat forgotten. You know, these, these people, these children and their families are mostly, you know, either in hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, or frankly, you know, isolated in their homes. And, and because of that, um, you know, these families don't get a lot of, of coverage. Um, a lot of people don't really understand uh, the plight that these families are under. And so, you know, medically fragile, when we use that term, what it really means is um, technology dependent usually. So children uh, requiring ventilators, trachs, G-tubes for feeding. Um, so medically fragile usually means some form of technology dependence. And um, it also means that these children generally qualify for in-home nursing to keep them healthy, to keep the cost down and to keep them out of expensive hospitals. And the, the challenge is, you know, these children represent only less than 1% of the pediatric population, but they represent 40% of the pediatric healthcare costs. So essentially, you know, medically fragile child will, will cost Medicaid or private insurance, most usually Medicaid, uh, about 40 times more than a non-medically fragile child. And the, the, the interesting dynamic about that is um, these children, the data proves that the cost, these children can be cared for generally for a couple hundred dollars a day at home. And the data proves that that's where they're, they're safest, especially during a time of COVID where one of these children going in and out of the hospital or clinics or facilities and catching COVID when they're already on ventilators, um, it's a pretty scary situation. So this is a very high risk, vulnerable population and, and the home is where they you know, cost taxpayers and Medicaid the least amount of money, but it's also where they're happiest and healthiest and safest and where they thrive. But the challenge is, is that out of all the costs, say that Medicaid, a given state spends on these children, um, only 2% of that cost goes to home care. So despite the fact that everybody agrees, Medicaid, governors, hospitalists, pediatricians, families, Everybody agrees that the home is the best place for these kids. And, and again, at a cost of a couple hundred dollars a day versus an average of about $4,300 a day in the hospital. The problem is though, is that home care rates, what, what Medicaid will, will pay an agency like, like Team Select to take care of one of these children. Um, if you look at an average state from about 1980 till 2020 over the span of 40 years, that reimbursement line looks completely flat in, in most cases. And, and, it, and it's, you know, I'm not trying to blame anybody, you know, the people that, that work in Medicaid, fund Medicaid, they get in there because they care and want to make a difference. But, you know, they've got so many competing priorities and, and, you know, never enough budget dollars to do all the things they want to do. 
Um, so there, I don't think anybody's doing it intentionally, but the problem with it is, is that while those reimbursement rates have been so flat for 40 years, over the past five years and more and accelerating rapidly in the future are the nursing salaries and the demand. So the challenge now in a lot of states is that the average nursing wages in some cases are higher than what Medicaid reimburses pediatric home care companies to take care of these children. And what that means is, you know, there has to be some room for technology, coding and auditing and clinical supervision and technology in the home and medical supplies and health benefits for, for nurses. And so companies like us have to convince nurses to take generally a 20 to 40% discount over what they could earn in a hospital or clinic setting in order to, to do this kind of care for these children in the home. And as a result, um, many of these cases go unstaffed and, and or multiple or shifts are filled, but the nursing becomes unreliable because the nurses are in such demand and, and they may agree to take a case and then three days later get an offer for 50 cents more an hour um, and jump ship. So what happens is these children either end up extended in hospitals. Um, the average medically fragile child spends an extra 56 days in the hospital, um, unable to discharge solely due to lack of home care staffing. So, so what's happening is, you know, Medicaid agencies are trying to save money and they're keeping that home care reimbursement line flat. But instead of paying maybe an extra $40 a day so we can pay a more of a fair wage to a nurse to, to leave a hospital or another setting to take care of one of these children in the home. And instead, the 98% the of the dollars that get spent in the hospitals and clinic and doctor's offices is, is where most of the cost goes. So what happens is when these kids don't have the care they need at the home, either the parent is forced or parents, um, which have about an 80% divorce rate for medically fragile child children and their families because of the, the financial stress, the mental stress. You haven't had a vacation in a decade because your child is trach invented in your one bedroom apartment in the living room. And so one of two things happen, either, either parents generally end up getting divorced frequently uh, because of the stress and then and, and also frequently end up on food stamps and welfare because when when companies can't find the nurses to have the, 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 the nursing care in the home, either the child ends up in the hospital at $4,300 a day for extended periods of time, sometimes months, even years we've seen, or the parent ends up having to generally quit their job and unable to work outside of the home because they're always calling in sick to work. Uh, to stay home and frankly keep their child alive. And, and so the problem um, really ends up in two main areas that are both very, very um, detrimental. I'm stunned initially just because of when you, when you break it down in such a way, A, just I think the reimbursement line is interesting. Um, in the one regard, and then you know we always tell people you know be ambitious, go out, get earn that amount of money. It's you know financially, it's a big thing on both sides. The one, it's the one that need the care on the same side. I'm thinking of all the nurses that I know in my life who are either in hospital or private settings. Very of them do home health care. I think I have one that comes to mind. Um, and then as well as like we're I, we're adding on multiple factors onto marriage and family that you know 
before we had a pandemic, before we had all these different things. So it's, it's absolutely stunning to hear. Thank you for breaking it down for our listeners, because I know a lot of them are going to be just as um, in awe of something that we're not aware of. What can we do, you know, in the Mother Honesty community? How can we help support, make this more of an opportunity to make change and be a catalyst for change? Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for asking that. So, um, so I, what I'd like to do is describe um, an actual solution for this. You know, I've spent all my career telling people there's no silver bullet solutions for anything in business or life, um, but there really is an amazing, practical, and innovative solution to this problem that actually um, benefits nurses, uh, benefits these parents and families, and saves states and hospitals tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars at the same time. So it's, it's actually a program that began about 20 years ago in the state of Colorado. Some people refer to it as the Parent CNA Program. Uh, we refer to it as the Family CNA Program. Other, other folks call it the uh, Related Caregiver Program. But essentially what happens in, in Colorado is if, if you take a, a, a typical medically fragile child, and there's really no definition of typical, but um, Let's, let's take a child who um, maybe has a, a, a trach in a, an event. Um, that child may qualify for eight hours a day of traditional private duty nursing. And so what would happen in, in 49 out of 50 states is that child would qualify for eight hours of nursing and they would either get eight hours of RN, registered nurse or LPN, licensed practical nurse care, or they get nothing. It's, it's an all or nothing kind of approach. You get the hours or you, or you don't, and it's a nurse or it's nothing. And, and it's, it's a little curious as to why it was ever set up that way, especially when you look at the way Colorado does it, which is we'll look at that same maybe eight hour shift and, and look at all the care plan, every action that needs to be completed in that care plan. And generally what we find, and it will vary based on the acuity of the child, and, and this solution doesn't work for every child and every family, uh, but it works for a lot. But essentially what we'll do is we'll look at each task that needs to be performed. And what you'll often find is that maybe of, a, of an eight hour shift, maybe only 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour is maybe changing a trach and in, in doing some suctioning, which are clear skills meant for an RN or an LPN and the CNA really doesn't have the training required to do that. But you look at the other seven hours or seven and a half hours of that shift, and generally most all those duties are light skilled or advanced personal care. So we're talking G-tube feedings, which in almost every state can be delegated uh, via the state board of nursing delegation requirements can be delegated and supervised from a nurse to a CNA or a certified home health aide. Um, bowel care so that the children don't get infection and we keep them out of the hospital, the nutrition, the bathing, so activities of daily living. So I want to be clear that um, these, are, these, these are duties um, that are not parenting duties. These are duties that are performed by a nurse authorized by the state and, and needed to keep these children alive and, and out of the hospital. And so what we do in Colorado is, is frankly, we match the, the skill being performed, the level of the skill being performed with the appropriate level of clinician. So instead of, of asking a nurse to, you know, first of all, take a discount over what they can make in a hospital or elsewhere, and then spend a, a large portion of their shift work working well below 
their license level and maybe only spending part of that shift working at the high end of their license. What we do is we'll take um, parents and family members and depending the, the acuity of the child has to be right. The, the, the parent or family member uh, has to be very qualified and reliable and talented and caring. Uh, but what we'll do is we'll take parents or family members um, in Colorado ourselves, and, and I believe just about all of our competitors do it the same way, is we'll take those parents or family members and train them for free uh, to become CNAs or certified nursing assistants. In other states, it might be called certified home health aides or certified LNAs, but it generally means about 80 hours of classroom, textbook, uh, in-person or online type training, and then at least another 40 hours of clinical training. Uh, and then in, in our case, um, you know, a significant amount of onboarding, orientation, and precepting. But essentially what we'll do is we'll take those parents, and again, so many of these parents are, are divorced on food stamps and welfare. You know, that parent might have been an attorney, a doctor, and talented, as hardworking as you and I and anybody listening to this podcast. But because of the situation and because of the fact that the nursing shortage is so acute and those rates are, are un are just frankly not, um, most companies have, have, will struggle to make money at, at those rates and become a going concern. And so we'll actually um, take those parents or family members if they, if they pass their exams um, and they um, are a good employee and we onboard them, we'll actually hire those, those parents and family members as uh, CNAs and we will pay them to replace those nursing hours, those duties previously performed by a nurse, not, not traditional parenting duties, only authorized clinical tasks. And we'll replace those, nur those nursing hours um, with, with a parent or family member acting as a CNA. And so what we really get out of all that is um, we get free training for the country's fastest growing job, which is CNAs and home health aides. Uh, there are no strings attached. So if a parent or family member doesn't pass the exam uh, or decides they don't want to do it at any point or they don't pass our hiring screens and orientation and testing, uh, then we simply write off the cost. So there's no cost to a state. There's no cost to a parent or family member uh, to take this kind of training. Uh, but if they do pass it, um, we end up hiring them as a clinician just like we would any other clinician. Um, they get a full benefits package if they work more than 30 hours a week, the same benefits package that, that me and my family is on. Um, we pay them a, a, a pretty good wage um, as much as we possibly can. Uh, we oftentimes get those families off of food stamps and welfare as well. So what we're really doing at the end of the day is we're saving in Colorado, uh, the state of Colorado, generally 20 to 30 to 40 percent um, on every hour work that we can replace a nurse with a certified nursing assistant. Um, those parents, they each get a, a, a tablet, an electronic tablet with <clears throat> GPS and electronic visit verification. So we know that they're in the home, uh, that the technology walks them through every element of the care plan from step one to step two, where they have to document everything. So we know they're in the home, we know they're performing the care. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and essentially they become an employee of the company and, um, and essentially you know, really get paid to stay home and take care of their kid, but again, not to be a parent. And the results are, are really what's important here though. So nationally, um, uh, medically fragile children have a rehospitalization rate of 18.3%. So basically every time 
a medically fragile child goes into the hospital nationally, 18.3% of the time they end up back in the hospital within 30 days. Um, we've treated over a thousand children with this program in the past 12 months in Colorado. And over the course of 12 months, only 1.6% of our children ended up in the hospital at any time in those 12 months. So, so we are talking, you know, 90% plus reductions in the hospitalization of these children. So while that's really important is, you know, not only are we taking parents and training them for free, elevating them off food stamps and welfare, giving them their pride, their dignity back, helping these children wake up to a happy, loving, smiling face every day instead of a stranger. Um, we are 90% of the time or more keeping these kids safe at home at a time of COVID when being safe at home is critical and keeping these children out of the hospital and settings where they could catch um, where they could catch COVID. And since we know that, you know, 98% of the cost of these children is, is incurred outside the home and, and the majority of that cost is in the hospital, when we're reducing that hospitalization rate by 90% or more, that's when the savings really explode. So, you know, we're very active in the past few months since COVID seeking to educate people, get the word out, find other um, people that will help carry this message forward and really raise awareness through public relations, articles, podcasts, and things so that people know um, there are solutions to this. There are things that work. There's hope for these families. You know, we've, we've recently passed, um, helped pass and, and get legislation approved in, um, in, along with some competitors as well in Arizona. Uh, we also have the program coming in Missouri. We've had a lot of talks with uh, New Jersey and things are advancing there. We're even looking at bringing this program um, to TRICARE, which is the active, um, the military plan for active military, where we could train military spouses for free and give them careers, make those service members more relocatable and, and save the government and TRICARE, you know, probably tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. So, so it's really a program that's extremely timely um, saves money all around. Uh, we free up nurses then to work more at the top end of their license, become case managers and clinical supervisors. So instead of working an eight hour shift, they may be responsible for five or six families to provide the supervision, come in and out of those homes, checking in, making sure things are okay. But we give nurses a, a stronger career and a, and a stronger income. Um, and at the same time, uh, generating significant savings really across the board. It's amazing what you guys have been able to do in Colorado and just the, you know, we're always looking at on the business side of things. We're looking at the metrics. It's always the ROI. What can you do? How can you do the return on investment? And just the statistics of, you know, the results in terms of the kids from an 18.3% hospitalization down to 1.6 in that thousand group statistics. That's a huge thing. I think the cost as well. And I think, you know, it, it amazes me that it hasn't been picked up more on national coverage because we're saying we have a healthcare shortage and what we're doing and why don't we have all these nurses. And you're like, wow, if we could just solve problem A with problem B, we would, you know, have C, D, and E that would help everyone. Um, so that amazes me. I always tell people I wish, you know, when I'm taking notes, you can see that I have multiple pages of notes as I'm writing down your statistics. What can we do? So I'm in Michigan. What can I do to help support? What can, you know, Blessing help to do in Houston that's in Texas with, do we need to go out and lobby? Do we need to, we can, you know, share on our platform or that? It's a great solution. Yeah. But I also understand it's also hard sometimes to change policymakers and the Medicaid reimbursement. It is. You know, 
how else can we help support? So yeah. I love what the program's doing. You've sold me on it. I'm now going to go forward and tell everyone that I see in the supermarket awesome. if they knew about this. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so really, you know, we're kind of figuring this out as we go. You know, we've been lobbying in the background for about two years and, and you know, hiring lobbyists, meeting with governors, uh, meeting with Medicaid agencies. And, uh, you know, I've kind of learned the hard way that, um, you know, common sense and, and savings and just talking and trying to convince people sometimes just isn't enough. And so what we really need is, is what we're trying to do is start to build a coalition, a coalition of, of families of medically fragile children willing to advocate um, for themselves and, and for their children and, and for other children. Um, we need more nonprofits to, to be aware and, and help us um, in this push. We need um, especially politicians, you know, governors, Medicaid directors to be aware that there's a great program out there uh, that's proven to work for over 20 years. And, and one thing I just, you know, neglected to mention, Kristen, that I just want to get in there so that you and the viewer and the, and the listeners really understand the reason that we get those significant cost reductions or hospitalization reductions, how, how, how do we go 15.3 to 1.6? It almost sounds too good to be true. Um, and the reason for that is the data proved, we've got university studies that prove it, and, and you know, almost a decade of our own data to prove it, is it's the continuity of care that keeps these kids safe at home that drives down the rehospitalizations and that significantly drives down the total cost of care for these children. So what that means is I described before, you know, these children need their, their, their trach chains and suctioning every day, they need the bowel care every day so they don't get an infection, they need the proper nutrition, they need the medication at the right times and the right amounts. And it's when those things don't happen, when a day gets missed or a week gets missed or one nurse doesn't show up and then an untrained parent has to try to figure it out and do it themselves, or when there's turnover, and this industry is filled with about 80% turnover for nurses, and so these constant nurses coming in and out. And so it's when those changes happen or when there's the gaps in care, that's what drives the rehospitalizations. So what the data proves is it, it's, it's not necessarily whether you send in an RN every day, an LPN every day, or a CNA every day. What matters is they have the right care, the right care plan, the right technology, and that they get the same consistent care every day because these children are stable. So, you know, if they, if they weren't stable, they wouldn't be at home. What makes them unstable is when the care plan doesn't happen and then something goes awry, and that's what drives those, those hospitalizations back and forth. So, um, so I really just wanted to make sure I got that out there uh, because I think that's an, a, a critical part of understanding um, of why this solution works so much better than the traditional solution. Um, but uh, one, one really good way to, to get involved is, um, I believe by the time this podcast airs, if, if people go to uh, Team Select Home Care, it's basically tshc.com. We are uh, launching the website within days and it's gonna be called The Unforgotten Families. So, or TUF um, for an abbreviation. And that's going to be a place where anybody, whether you're a parent of a medically fragile child, um, is a, a, frankly a competitor in another state looking to help bring this, this great program to your state. We are willing to work with anybody and everybody 
um, use our, our resources and our connections and some of our learnings to, to really help spark this movement and, and get many other companies, people um, lobbying for this. Um, again, especially at a time of COVID, there's, there's never been a time where our government and, and states have needed cost savings more than they do now because just about every state is facing you know, numbers like 20% budget shortfalls from declining tax revenue. So it's really critical that, that governments, uh, both locally and federally, get, get big savings right now. And it's never been more important to keep these kids safe at home, to keep the constant stream of nurses in and out of the home at bay, and most importantly, to keep these children safe um, from COVID. Brad, you've hit on so many great points today, and I can promise you on the Mother Honestly front that we will share what you're, the work that you're doing, and we will continue to advocate on your behalf. We'll definitely share the forgotten, young and forgotten families, you know, on our website, follow what you're doing. We'll continue, you know, with our group. You know, I think this is something that it wasn't something I, something I knew about. I knew people went through it, but I didn't know to the extent and then even compounded with what we're looking at during a pandemic. So thank you so, so much for sharing on the podcast today. I can't wait to share this episode with our listeners. I know it's going to hit home uh, for so many and we'll continue to support you as much as we can on our platform and kind of push what you guys are doing forward. Thank you so much for being a guest. Um, I'm excited for what you guys are doing. You know, you got my heart straight. You got that going. Um, so I, I'm so thrilled that you were on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It's uh, this is only my second podcast, so I'm still getting better and trying to get better. But um, yeah, this is um, so so generous of you, and uh, I really love what you all are doing for for mothers and parents out there. And, and it, again, it's really um, very special and uh, makes me extremely happy to, to be able to, to, to get this word out and for you guys to give this a platform. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And you did it awesome. I wouldn't have known this was only your second podcast. I, you, you have a very nice way of telling the facts and that is very easy to follow. And it was very, um, you know, it kept my, it was a great hook. So I was, I was writing down seriously as you were going. Fred, thank you so much. Thank you so much have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the Mother Honestly podcast. If you want more relevant content for the ambitious mom, head on over to motherhonestly.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mother Honestly. Love our podcast? We want to hear from you. Please rate and review our podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We love growing at Mother Honestly and your reviews help us grow. Stay safe, stay well, and always stay ambitious.